Uh, when we uh, had the reading today and that prophecy from Joel, I couldn't help but think of uh, what uh, is happening in the sky above us over the next month. That we are going to have uh, a blood moon. Today we are celebrating Pentecost, a Jewish uh, harvest festival, but it's the time when as a church we celebrate the coming of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, on those first believers at Pentecost who were gathered all together. So it's good to have a combined service to, uh, to uh, celebrate that. And of course it's often called the birthday of the church. So, happy birthday today, guys. It's the birthday of the church. And we want to look at, what we want to look at today is the fact that God has given to all who believe in Jesus Christ a gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell uh, within us and to fill us with the presence of God. You see, you and I are called to be God's spirited people. The very presence of God dwells within us. Uh, I love stained glass window art, and I really love the, uh, the stained glass window on this side of the church, which um, has the Holy Spirit dove there. Of course, the dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, which comes from the gospel, um, uh, the gospel narrative of Jesus' baptism, where it says that the uh, Spirit of God uh, descended on Jesus Spirit of God poured out on us all, on all who believe in Jesus Christ. And over the period between Easter and Pentecost, we've been working our way through a series of messages looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and the church today. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are the ways in which God is present with us to empower us and enable us and equip us as the church to bear witness to Christ through word and deed in the world. And we did that by looking at the passages in the epistles which uh, have lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, each list different and each list telling us something about the purpose and use of the gifts. No list definitive but showing us the breadth of God's gracious enabling of his people. They're not shopping lists or wish lists of things that could make us appear more spiritual, but to be humbly used for the benefit of all, to the glory of God. We looked at Romans 12 and saw that there were all the different gifts that God had given so that we, they could, we could effectively serve God and love one another. That there are many gifts, but one service. In 1 Corinthians 12, we saw two lists of gifts. And saw that while there were many gifts, they were given by the same Spirit. Many gifts, one Spirit. And they are the ways in which God has, is able to speak and to act through his people. Then we saw in the second half of that chapter that there were many gifts, but one body. That we've all been given different gifts, and they are to be used together 
for the common good. In 1 Corinthians 14, we saw that these gifts were to be used in love to build up the church. And uh, we were given some very practical love-soaked guidelines for the use in public worship. In Ephesians 4, we saw that God had given ministry gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers and pastors, so the church could grow into maturity in Christ, lacking in nothing and being able to be about the kingdom of God. And in 1 Peter 4, we were encouraged to use these gifts more and more for the glory of God. And sometimes, I actually think that our understanding of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives is like one of the stained glass windows at St. John's in Rotorua. Uh, I, um, I worked there for six years, and sadly that church is burnt down now. It's in the process of being rebuilt. But up along the top windows were these triangles of different colored uh, glass. And they represented the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what was supposed to happen was that the sun would shine through those top windows, shine through the glass, and that those things would be sort of reflected and refracted, whichever it is. And my wife's a math and physics teacher, so she'll tell me off if I've got it wrong. But we're refracted and shone on all the congregation to symbolize and remind us and encourage us that the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives are for the people of God, not just for what happens up the front. However, there was a design fault, and the sun would never shine through at the right angle for that to happen. It never happened. I'd be sitting there just waiting for it to happen, and it never happened. And I think... uh, there, there was a disconnect between the purpose and the congregation. And I think sometimes there's a disconnect between our understanding of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and who and what we are. Um, and uh, what I want to do today is to look at Acts chapter 2 as a way of addressing a lot of the issues around that disconnect. And I want to do it in a very 21st century way. Now, if you go onto a website, you will often see a page that has the uh, initials F-A-Q, right? And you go, hey, what does that mean? F-A-Q is frequently asked questions. And it's on a website to, so that, you know, they don't keep having to answer the same questions all the time. So what I want to do is go through some frequently asked questions about the Holy Spirit today. But first, let's have a quick look at Acts chapter 2. It's the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit has always been the third person of God. It was there at creation. It was involved in the Old Testament. It it filled people in the Old Testament, specific, special people for special tasks. But now, here is the Holy Spirit coming and pouring itself on all believers. And uh, it comes as God had promised. And it's the start of the mission of the church to witness to Jesus Christ. Basically, this passage is split into three parts. The first details the events that took place as the Spirit came upon those first believers gathered together. And it outlines what what were the people's response. And I love that. You know, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. 
Or as Anosa said in his sermon, you know, it's nine o'clock in the morning, the pubs aren't open. And then it outlines uh, that the fact that uh, the central part is that Peter is a narrative of Peter's sermon where he explains what is happening and he preaches about Jesus. The third section of the narrative is the people's response. About 3,000 who were saved, and then the concluding description of how this new community, God's spirited people, lived together, and how they were led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, the first frequently asked question by Christians uh, about the Holy Spirit is, do all Christians need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit for everyone, or just a certain few? Is it essential... Or is it like the optional extras, like leather upholstery and a racing strip on a car that you have to pay more money for? You know? And while we've been addressing that through this series that we've been looking at, it's good to look at it again. And the answer is, yes, it is for everyone. I mean, look at the flow of things in Acts chapter 2. It starts by saying that all the believers were gathered together, about 120, not just the apostles, all the believers. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, men and women. And in this case, all of them spoke in tongues. And when the crowd has gathered the apostles, that's Peter and the eleven, stand up to speak. And that is the gift that they have been given, so they use it. And you know, they'd been trained for this moment with Jesus. And then the narrative ends with people living in a way that reflects that God was present by the Holy Spirit in all of them. It was present because they lived in a way that expressed their love and the love of Christ for each other. So the the other important answer to this question comes from the passage that Paul quotes from the prophet Joel. That he says is being fulfilled that day that God would put his spirit on all people. And it's a comprehensive list. Men and women, regardless of socioeconomic status, on your men servants and your women servants as well, all would speak God's word or prophesy. Regardless of age, the young would see visions and the old would dream dreams. And I'll leave it to you to choose which one of those categories you are in. And can I say... I have a dream. Yeah. Oh, I should say, I have a vision. (laughs) I have both. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, we are all to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. As Paul says, he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That comes from 2 Corinthians 1. 22. God puts his Holy Spirit on all of us. The second frequently asked question is, was it just for the people back then? You know, then and there, just to sort of get the church kick-started? You know, and, and we don't need it today? I mean, haven't we got the New Testament, and that's all we need? And you know, when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the understanding of the Holy Spirit, the church is split along those lines between those who believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were for then and there, but they've stopped now, and those who believe that it's for all people at all time. 
focusing what we had read today, Peter finishes his sermon by saying that those who repent and believe in Jesus will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, some have seen this as saying it's for the first couple of generations of Christians. They take it literally for you and your children. But, you know, that's an idiom. It's, a way, it's one of those sort of ways that people speak because for you and your children basically means that it's for all generations to come. For all who God shall call. And people who talk of the gifts not being for today often point to the second half of 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says that tongues will cease and prophecies will end when the perfect comes. And they see this as meaning that when we had the New Testament scriptures, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped being necessary. And you know, it's actually really hard to write back into into Paul, into what really is the earliest, one of the earliest letters that we have that has been included in the New Testament canon, that Paul would even conceive of a time when all the Gospels and letters were drawn together to make the New Testament. It's, you know, he just wouldn't have been on his mind. He was writing to a church that had people who believed that the kingdom of God had come in its entirety and that they were somehow these heavenly beings, these super spiritual beings. And he has to remind them that that is not the case, that they are to look forward to a greater fulfillment when Christ returns. The fullness of the Holy Spirit, its presence and the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives are for us today. Another frequently asked question is, you know, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, we're a bit worried that you mean all the weird and wonderful stuff that seems to go on in, you know, those churches. Do we have to be like them? In Acts 2, there are very real manifestations that go along with the coming of the Holy Spirit. The wind, the tongues of fire, everyone speaking in the languages of all the people gathered on that day. This was an important event, an epoch-changing event. The wind and the fire are symbols of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament. The speaking in the languages that all could understand was a sign that this was God pouring out His Spirit so that the people of God would be able to witness to all the nations of the world. And as Lorne showed us this morning, you know, we are, a, we are, we are a, this international, this global family in Christ. That this was the revolution of God's grace for all. So it was appropriate that those things happened. We do tend to forget that the focus of the narrative is what happened to God's people. And so we see that one of the things is that they boldly proclaimed Jesus Christ. Remember Peter's the one that when he was confronted by a servant girl around a fire said, no, I don't know Jesus. But here he is standing up in front of it. You know, at least a crowd of 3,000 talking boldly about Jesus Christ. Um, then uh, it finishes, uh, is, it ends with the summary uh, of what happened and how people respond. People came and gave their lives to Jesus and they formed a community. And yes, there was God was moving by the Holy Spirit, uh, doing signs and wonders, but when you have a look at what was happening uh, from day to day, people were repenting and turning to God. There was a hunger for God's word. 
Jesus said when the Holy Spirit came, he would reveal the truth to us. He would bring Jesus' words to mind. There's a hunger for the word of God. Uh, there was an increased dedication to worship and prayer, to unity and love, shown in generosity and hospitality. There was a genuine and practical concern for the poor. They sold what they had and gave it to the poor. There was a renewed passion for people to come to know Jesus Christ. People were being added daily who were being saved. And yes, God did move in signs and wonders. But I actually think we've gotten to the point where we're not used to God being God in our midst. You know, we've got this Western sort of uh, mindset. In one edition of the words of the Martyrs magazine, one Syrian pastor who had stayed in Syria during the war talked about the fact that their church was becoming fuller and fuller and fuller all the time. And that uh, many of them were because of Muslims who'd come, Muslims who'd come to faith. And 80 to 90% of them had come because they'd had a dream or a vision. One man asked to become a Christian after a dream where he'd been drowning in a river and a man came along and hauled him out. And he wanted to become a Christian because he knew it was Jesus. Another man had had a vision of uh, the prophets coming out and he'd seen uh, uh, Moses and then he'd seen Jesus and then he waited around to see Muhammad and, and there was a, an angelic being there and he said, you know, where's Muhammad? And, you know, and, uh, and he was told, no, Jesus is the last one. So he became a Christian. Let's bring it closer to home. My mum. <laughs> you know, wonderful. One day in church when she was about 70 years old, she stood up, tears running down her face, and she said, I've just had the most amazing vision. And she talked about being in a, in a field of beautiful flowers. And in the middle was a man who she recognised as Jesus. And he said, she looked at, he looked at me and said, I know all these flowers by name. A great affirmation that God knows us. Yeah. Can I say the most common thing that I experience when praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit is that they and I just have this overwhelming sense of God's peace and love, which I think is the most amazing and wonderful miracle. God presences himself with his people as he has promised. Christ is with us to the end of the age, as he said he would be. Okay, let's move on to the next frequently asked question. Is being filled with the Holy Spirit a one-off experience that you, you know you need to be prayed for to receive, or is it an ongoing day-to-day -day relationship? Um, you know, it used to be that people would say, you know, oh, we've got to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and, you know, um, in Acts chapter 2, um, it's, this is a new experience and a new encounter with God. And you see, we abs know absolutely nothing about what the 3,000 who came to faith that day actually experienced when it came to the Holy Spirit. And there are other times in Acts when, you know, that the Spirit falls on people in a powerful way when the Gentiles receive the Spirit in Acts chapter 10. And throughout history, as well, God has met people and poured out the Holy Spirit in a new and a fresh way. The Pentecostal movement will look back to the Azusa Street Revival of 1906 as the place where the renewal of the gifts of the Holy Spirit happened for them. You could look at the Welsh Revival. 
Uh, and there have been times of great revival and outpouring of the Holy Spirit, even in our own Presbyterian church, even in God's chosen, uh, frozen chosen, you know? <laughs> One church historian talks about the fact that the Presbyterian church was birthed in the fires of revival. Hallelujah. May it be like that again. However, we receive the Holy Spirit when we become followers of Jesus Christ. Because that's what brings the transformation. God comes and dwells within us. And Paul talks of walking with the Holy Spirit as an ongoing daily encounter with God through the Holy Spirit as the way in which Christ-like fruit, Christ-like character is built in our lives. Um, even when he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, in the Greek it's a tense which means be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it's just best if I leave the last words on that to Jesus. You know, we're so used to the words on prayer, ask and it will be given, knock and it will be opened, seek and you will find. In Luke's Gospel, that finishes by saying, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You know? When we pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's that we want them to know the presence of God more and more and have their lives filled more and more by God's presence. And when that happens in our daily prayer life or in a meeting or a gathering, it's because of God's good grace to give it to us. In fact, when we pray for that, it's, it's not the manifestation that happens that are the important thing, but that we can trust God keeps his promise. So I think the answer is yes, it is an experience when we pray for it and receive it. Yes, it is an ongoing relationship. The key thing is to ask and you will receive. Keep on asking and you will keep on receiving more and more of God's presence in your life. Lastly, how may I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is that if you love Jesus Christ, then ask and you will receive. As we've looked at in the scriptures, the amazing thing about the New Testament is that because of what Christ has done for us, his life, his death and resurrection, that God wants to live in us. God wants to fill us with his presence by the Holy Spirit. It's simply a matter of asking him and believing that he will do what he has promised. You know, maybe today we need to ask God to give us a fresh touch of his love, to empower us to witness to him, to fill us so much that his presence and, and with his presence and reveal his word to us that it will flow out from us, that we'll be so filled with God's love and presence and joy that our vision of what is and what should be and what could be are shaped by that. Our dreams and our visions are filled and directed by Christ. Our actions and reactions will become more and more Christ-like, more and more spirit-enabled as God gives us the gifts we need to use. And Christ's vision of the kingdom of God will become our vision. When I was preparing for this message, I came across a white dove in the guttering of the church. It was pretty much just sitting, well, quite close, I'm drawing a line here, quite close to the, um, 
you know, the uh, stained glass window there. And of course the doves fly around the street here all the time. Uh, and I think maybe, you know, we're kind of happy with the Holy Spirit out there. We're kind of hovering up there, you know. But God wants to pour his Holy Spirit more and more on his people, on us, so that we will know his presence and be enabled to live and witness to him in the world that he loves. I'm going to hand back to Lorne now, and we're going to respond to what we've heard. And we're going to do that in a very Presbyterian way. Uh, we're going to have our tithes and offerings brought forward, uh, and Lorne is going to pray for that. But in our tradition, when we do that, you notice we stand. And when we stand for the offering, we're not standing because it's important, because money's involved. We are offering ourselves afresh to Christ. That's what we're doing. So we're going to use this very traditional way of an actual fact standing and offering ourselves to Christ anew. You know, we offer not only our gifts and our, uh, you know, our money, but we also offer our lives and our gifts to Christ.